0: Welcome to the Amherst Wesleyan Church Sermon Podcast. All right, folks, so we have been talking this month about how do you understand the Bible, and we've been doing more practical kind of study teaching kind of things than we would normally do and so i want to wrap up our series in a practical kind of situation of when you have questions about the bible and questions about situations in life and you go to the bible and you're trying to figure out what does it mean what does the bible mean or what does what are the answers and we've got these scriptures what do they mean how is it that you're supposed to make sense of the Bible, How are you supposed to interpret the Scriptures? Is there a guide for finding answers to your questions? And some of those questions are about Scripture. Some of those questions are about life. But you'll have those questions. Somebody will give you passages of Scripture, and you are really like, those are great passages. What does it mean? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there and you're left wondering, what does it mean? Well, I want to give you a template of or a guide for how it is that we can navigate these questions with the Bible and help us find answers to all the questions we have about life and Scripture and God and faith and all that stuff, okay? And what we're going to look at is something called the Wesleyan Quadrilateral. And Pastor Brad has talked about this before. But this is a four-part guide For how it is that we can interpret and understand Scripture and find answers to our questions. And so there are four things. The first one is Scripture. The second is tradition. The third is reason or logic. And the fourth is experience. So Scripture, you want to pay attention to who wrote it. When did they write it? What was going on? What is the style that it is written? Because some of these are letters. Some of them are history. Some of them are poems. And then you've got to look at other passages. But what I mean by tradition is that you've got to look at your church's doctrines from the past. You've got to look at those long-standing beliefs that the church has had for hundreds and hundreds or thousands of years. And when you look at reason or logic, you're talking about articles, books, science, archaeology, history, just proper thinking. Lastly, experience, which would be your personal experience or the experience of other people, real life examples. And that if you take your questions and run them through this four-part guide, it will help you figure out the answers to the questions that you face. It's a lot like, it's a lot like trying to work on your car. How many of you here are really fantastic really fantastic mechanics great great so sometimes when you've got your car trouble you'll Google what's wrong with my car won't you anybody uh-huh and so you begin this process of going through this checklist right you go down through the checklist of what's wrong with my car and it may be your car's not starting and so you will say, well, you've got to check the battery. If it's not the battery, then you say, well, is there gas in the tank? Well, if there's gas in the tank and the battery's okay, then is the starter working? And if the starter's working, then what about the engine? And you go down through this progression to figure out what's wrong. You've all heard of those situations where you call in to, to tech support because your computer's not working. And what's the first thing that the person on the other line says to you about your computer? Is it plugged in? that's the first thing they say is your computer plugged in And you're like what a, why would you ask me that of course it's. and then you check and it's not right right but there's a checklist is it plugged in did you turn it on is it connected to the internet do you know how to use a keyboard right they, they take you down through the guide this progressive guide one's most essential and then the others get progressively less essential but you've got to start at the most essential thing and work your way through that guide. And through doing that, you will eventually figure out what the answer is. You always start with a thing that is the basis of everything else. You always start with a thing that is the basis of everything else. And so, what 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, to 17 says, It's all scripture is God breathed and is used for, for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Always start with scripture when looking for answers to scripture and life. So, what I would like to do is, I'd like to go down through some examples. And show you how this works. Sometimes we come up against questions that are very easily answered just with Scripture. For example, in Genesis chapter 20, verse 1 to 2, it says this Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived there in Kadesh and Shur. While he stayed there, Abraham said of his wife Sarah, She's my sister. Then Abimelech king sent for Sarah and took her. Why? Abraham lied to the king. So, is lying okay? Okay, so we've got some answers there. Most of you got it right. But when you look at this passage, you see Abraham, the guy that's talked about as the father of the Jews, the father of our faith. He has lied. He actually does it more than once. So there's more than one passage. And the crazy thing is that Abraham actually gets rewarded for his lies. Well, you need to understand the context of Scripture. And you need to understand that God hadn't given the law and clarified that lying was not appropriate. When you dig into the rest of Scripture, you see a clarification. That in Colossians 3 9, it says, Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self and its practices. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, in the Ten Commandments, it says, You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And so by looking at other parts of Scripture, we get a clear answer that even though Abraham told a lie and kind of got rewarded for it the Bible clearly says do not lie. And so the Scripture, before going down any further through the troubleshooting guide, Scripture clarifies. Alright? That's, that's one example. Second example. Something that we have to go down through the system a little bit further. What about the Trinity? What does is God actually a trinity is he actually three persons one being well in Matthew chapter 3 so we start with scripture in Matthew 3:16 we see this story as soon as Jesus was baptized he went out of the water and at that moment heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him and a voice from heaven said this is my son whom I am well pleased and so we have Jesus physically there that we have the spirit of God coming down on him and then we have a voice from heaven three persons one being. In Deuteronomy chapter 6 we see hear O Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one. One God. And in John 1:1 1, 1, it says in the beginning the word was in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And so Scripture seems to be pointing towards it, but you will not find anywhere in the Scripture that it says God is three persons and one being, and you will not find that the word Trinity exists in Scripture. And so what we do is we say, okay, we have an idea of what's there based on Scripture, but we need more clarity to answer this question. And so we go to something called the creeds, or the long-standing beliefs of the church, something that the church has believed and held to as a doctrine as a right teaching for many many years. And I just pulling from the Athanasian creed, it says whosoever will be saved before all things it is necessary that they hold the catholic faith, which means the church faith, not the roman catholic but the church faith. To with faith except everyone do keep whole and undefiled without doubt he shall perish everlasting. And the Catholic faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity. And so this belief that was held by the church in about 300-400 AD is something that the church has held on to since then. And so between Scripture and our traditional beliefs, we're able to see that put them together, we have clarity, and that God is in fact Trinity. You see how this works? We start with Scripture and then we start moving through. Alright, well, third example. What about creation? Anybody ever asked about creation, whether creation was a literal six days or whether it took millions of years? Everyone had that question? Some of you are scared to raise your hands, but you've had those questions. Right? You've had those questions. Well, what do we do? We start with Scripture, then we go to Tradition right well scripture says in genesis 1 31 god saw that he all that he had made and it was very good and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day okay exodus 20 says for in 6 days the lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them but he rested on the seventh day in romans 5:14 it says nevertheless death from the time of Adam and the time of Moses, even over those who did as did Adam, who is the pattern of the world, And so we see Scripture seems to be leaning one way, but you still may have questions. Is that poetic language? Is that figurative language? Well, then you go to to tradition and you find that tradition has leaned towards creation being a literal six-day event. But not always. And so, Scripture is leaning one way, tradition is leaning one way, but you're still not quite settled, and so then you turn to reason. You're allowed to turn to science. And so you go to science, and you look at something called irreducible complexity, which is something like your eye, that your eye only works if all the components of the eye are created and put together at once. It is not something that could have evolved because if one part is missing, then the entire mechanism is useless. And that you look at your cellular structure and you look at your eyes and you look at different parts of your body and you realize that there is so much complexity that is irreducible that there must be some sort of creation instantaneously. And so by taking all three of these things tradition, and reason, for me, I see it very clearly that creation was a literal six-day event. But here's the other part. Getting down further away from Scripture and we don't have a clear answer in Scripture and we're getting further away from that main source, the reality is that sometimes you can have disagreements around this. And there are essential beliefs like God Himself created the universe. Period. That's essential. That's undeniable. That's clearly stated in Scripture. Whether it was literally six days or longer, I think I have an answer, but if you disagree with me, it's okay. Because now we're basing things on reason and not just Scripture. So, Scripture tradition reason let's ask another question that we got to take a little bit further let's talk about drinking is drinking okay or not okay well in 1st timothy chapter 5 always start with scripture 1st timothy chapter 5 verse 23 it says stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses In Romans 14, 21, it says, It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. 1 Corinthians says, Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. John 2 has a story about Jesus turning water into wine. And in Jeremiah chapter 35, it says, they replied, we do not drink wine because our forefather gave us this command. Neither you nor your descendants must ever drink wine. And so you look at Scripture and you're left going, oh, that's not clear. (laughs) Because we have examples where not drinking is encouraged or commanded and we have spots where drinking may actually be encouraged. So, okay, if Scripture isn't clear on it, should you drink or not? Well, tradition has said, depending on your tradition, yes or no. Some traditions say, go for it. Just don't get drunk. Other traditions, like the Wesleyan church, have said, yeah, you probably shouldn't. But there's some disagreement there. Okay, so we don't have clarity yet. So what do we go? So we've got scripture than tradition reason well you look at reason and you can see that there is potential benefits to a little bit of alcohol in your diet we can see that it's not sin but we can also see that alcohol can cause lots of problems that it is easily abused it easily causes accidents And it easily does incredible amounts of damage to your brain and other organs, even in small amounts. Okay. Okay. But maybe that's still not enough. You're still not sure whether it's good to drink or not to drink. And so then you have to go to experience. Scripture, tradition, reason, then experience and you've got to make those decisions based on your experience looking around you and based on other people's experience does it make sense or not does it not make sense and if you've ever known somebody that was killed by a drunk driver or somebody that was an alcoholic and you saw the damage done you may very easily lean towards that's just not worth it if you've seen the damage that it does to communities and to families and to people you say we don't need that and that can sway you that way you may have the experience that says you know what there is a way to use it responsibly and we're okay with that and that's going to help you lean into that but you need to keep in mind everything that you learned about from scripture tradition and reason and for me my grandfather was an alcoholic My dad really didn't know his dad very much. My dad was 12 when Grampy started drinking. He left my grandmother. Dad really didn't get to know him again until he was in his 30s. And even then, it was weird. I really didn't get to know my grandfather at all because of alcohol. Take that, the science behind it, the tradition of the Wesleyan Church that says it is We can make a better impact on our community without it than with it. And Scripture that says it is okay to not drink at all. It isn't the only way. Drinking isn't a sin, but it is a good way to live your life. I have determined that I should not drink. And so by using those tools, Scripture, tradition, reason, then experience, we can come up with answers. The key is to do it in that order, though. You always have to start with Scripture. If you go backwards, you end up trying to make Scriptures give you an answer that it doesn't give you. You cannot start with your experience and then make reason back up your experience and tradition back up your reason and Scripture back up your tradition. You've got to start with Scripture first because the rule of thumb is Always start with Scripture when looking for answers to Scripture and life. Thanks for listening and being part of our church and joining us in this journey to become down-to-earth people following Jesus in down-to-earth ways.